0: I heard about a pastor who decided to skip church one Sunday. I know that's foreign to us, but he skipped church and he wanted to go play, play golf. So he told his assistant he wasn't feeling well, and he drove to a golf course in another city so nobody would know him. He teed off on the first hole. A huge gust of wind caught his ball, carried it an extra hundred yards, and dropped it right in the hole for a 450-yard hole in one. Kind of sounds like a fish story, doesn't it? An angel looked at God and said, why did you do that? And God smiled and said, who is he going to tell? (laughs) So I hope that we all know our place as we gather, that we're here, this is important, this is valuable to us, and we should do it so much the more as we see the day approaching. Today it's important because we're worshiping together and we're hearing from God together in his word about selfishness. And while our text doesn't state it as such, it certainly gives us a Christ-centered view of this life and the next. And just seemingly every verse points us back to Jesus and reminds us Of what we have in him. I hope that every one of us here today and those who are watching will understand and know and agree that we truly are rich and wealthy people. That we have so much in Christ, that we have so much for which to be thankful and because everything that we have that is a motivator for us to be thankful was a gift from God through Jesus, we should be full of gratitude instead of selfishness. And I hope that we will look at it that way this morning and just be encouraged in all that we have in Christ, and as we anticipate celebrating Thanksgiving, of course, that we will truly be thankful for all of the right reasons and in the right way and that every one of us will defeat selfishness and those tendencies in our lives. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes from 2 Corinthians, actually chapter 4 and chapter 5, because they are connected, and so we will look at them uh, together this morning. But we must cultivate a thankful heart because, first of all this morning, Jesus makes all of our present affliction worth it. How many of us are glad this morning that the things that we suffer in this life are not wasted, but they are truly worth it? Anybody thankful for that this morning? Isn't that wonderful? Because most of us here today are probably suffering, maybe all of us in some way are suffering because of this life, right? Our bodies, I mean, I won't ask how many of you felt terrible when you got up this morning, but let's face it, right? As we get older, that's what happens. I mean, let's, we're not getting stronger and more healthier. We're, we're suffering. These bodies are breaking down, and those things alone can be discouraging as life goes on. And perhaps there are sufferings beyond this. The Apostle Paul knew a lot about that as he wrote to the Corinthian church. Paul, of course, had suffered greatly for the cause of Christ but he knew, as he wrote these words to the Corinthians, as he wrote them to the other churches to whom he sent letters, he knew that all of that suffering was worth it in Jesus. So I want to go back to Second Corinthians chapter four and begin in verse 16, if you want to find your places there. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse 16, it says, "Therefore we do not lose heart." Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So you have this tension between the spiritual and the physical that's going on. And Paul's talking about that here. What we have in our bodies and who we are, that's all wasting away. We're breaking down. But inwardly there is a process that is going on for God's glory that we were predestined by the sovereignty of God to experience. That's what Romans 8 is all about. We were predestined as believers to experience this renewal process so that whatever we are called to endure may have a positive and powerful effect upon us, that we are renewed that we are transformed, that we experience a progressive sanctification that makes us more like Jesus. We are being renewed day by day, Paul says here. Look at verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles. When's the last time we viewed what was going on in our life right now as trouble, as being light and momentary? We probably came in here today carrying a pretty heavy load, some of us. But isn't that made light through Jesus? Can't we cast those burdens and cares on him and let him do the heavy lifting? Yes, we can. And I love that next word too. What is it? My translation says momentary, temporary. Every trouble that you are facing today has an expiration date in Jesus, every one of them. And even if you have to live this entire life day by day under some sort of trouble or burden, it all gets resolved in heaven. Every bit of it is made right. These momentary troubles are achieving for us, continuing in verse 17, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do you believe that, church? the glory that is coming far outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Do we understand that that could be a major trigger for everyone who suffers with the sin of selfishness? A wrong view, a wrong perspective, where is our gaze? What are we fixing our eyes on? What is dominating our minds and our hearts? We are, we are not to fix our eyes on what is seen. That would be the temporary things, the things of this life, the burdens that press in, the physical difficulties that cause us pain, the trauma, the loss, and all the sorrow. Every one of those things would be things that are seen. not to focus on those things but yet isn't that the trigger for a lot of us to become selfish and lack gratitude and complain and murmur because we're focusing on the temporal we're focusing on what is happening here and now instead of what this scripture says what is unseen anticipating the glory that's coming that far outweighs everything that is a trouble to us now be careful of that trigger Keep your gaze on Jesus and on eternity, the things that aren't seen, and know that Jesus makes all of our present affliction worth it. For what is seen, he says at the end of verse 18, is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. The best is yet to come. And I'm telling you, you're not living your best life now. That's coming later. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now, we see that Jesus makes all of the present affliction worth it. None of it has to be wasted, and we can be thankful for that and know that God is at work. Now, what is one of the biggest afflictions, traumas, and sorrows that we all face? What is it? It's death, right? But guess what? (laughs) There's an answer for that too. Jesus resolves the problem of death look at chapter 5 and verse 1 now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed there's death what we have in this body if it's totally annihilated and destroyed we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. This is where we are. We're living in this tension. We don't want to be here anymore. We want to be with God, and we can have that transition well because Jesus resolves the problem of death. Now, I know our family has been touched at least three times in in the very recent past by this problem of death. Right, we go back to the Mueller's who who died serving Jesus with the mission that God had called them to. Can you hope? Right, they're gone from this earth. Gone. Another young lady, many would say in the prime of her life, gone as well. And that family grieving as well as the Mueller family. Sylvia Hughesby went home to be with the Lord, and the Hughesby family and extensions are grieving today because of that. And Rose McIntyre, many of you know her. She is now home with Jesus as well. So our family has been touched with this affliction. Our family has been touched recently with this problem that we call death. But what I want everyone here to know this morning who is touched by these departures of people that we know and love from this life that there is hope in Jesus and that he has resolved, completely the resolve for all time, the problem of death. We can talk about it today in terms of hope because as far as I know and, and from what I have been told, everyone that we have seen transition from this life into the next in recent day, these three are certainly Believers who knew Jesus, who know Jesus even better now, whose faith has become sight, and who are rejoicing in the Lord, in their inheritance, and are waiting for us in heaven even today. It's a blessing to have the blessed hope. And it's because of Jesus. We know for a certainty. I love that at the beginning of verse 1. Look at that with me. Now we, what? Know. We don't necessarily hope that it comes true, although the word hope is also used in Scripture in terms of certainty. There's never a question mark around the hope that we have in Christ, but this very emphatically says we know that if our earthly building, tabernacle, body is destroyed, that we have hope in Jesus. The Father has built an eternal house in heaven. It's not built by human hands. It's durable, it's perfect, it's comprehensive in every way. It will outdo anything that any mind, human mind, could ever conceive of or even create. It's built by an eternal God, an eternal house, in heaven so jesus resolves the problem of death understand that know that believe that and rest in that now maybe you have a hard time with that today maybe you're thinking i i'm not sure i believe that what do you mean jesus resolves this problem of death and maybe maybe you have questions about that or maybe you have questions about who Jesus is and how in the world he could ever resolve the problem of death and, and, and maybe you're just seeking that out and trying to figure all of that out. Well, that's okay. You're in a very good place to continue your journey towards seeking truth. And we welcome that kind of dialogue here. We welcome the doubt. We welcome the questions we even welcome the critics and the cynics who, whose minds and hearts have been turned away from Jesus in every way. That's okay. Bring all of that stuff here. Have those conversations. I would personally invite you into a conversation if you were in one of those categories still wondering or maybe even completely rejecting Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about him and how he resolves this problem of death because he has resolved all of our problem with sin. And so if you want to have that conversation, that's welcomed. And I hope that you will, even today, as we are here after our gathering. I want you to see as we continue in our text that Jesus truly, as well as everything that we need, while we painfully wait to transition, and indeed there is great pain. Paul talks about it beginning in verse two of chapter five. Meanwhile, we groan, many of us have already done that today, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Look at verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And here's this tension that we live in. We don't want to really be here anymore, do we? We would rather lay aside all of the burden, lay aside all of the weight, get rid of all of the pain and the sorrow and the loss and the, the resulting trauma, and just, just be totally separated from that. We really don't want to go through that anymore. And, and with Paul, we would say, we'd really just like to be in heaven. We'd really like to just transition now and get away from all of this stuff. But don't miss the profound teaching of this text. While we live in that tension, there is a purpose in all of that. And we can't become disinterested in what God is doing through all the pain and what he is doing in all of the burdens while we get impatient waiting to transition to heaven. Because if we see everything between here and heaven as just an imposition that is a fuel for our lack of content and our anger and our bitterness and our resentment and anything else negative, then we're going to miss everything that God is doing. What does he say that he's up to here? Look at verse 5. It is God who has made us for this very purpose. He's made us for the life that we're living now as we anticipate the life that is to come. And he is accomplishing his purpose in both. I'll say it again, I've said it to you recently, but it needs to be repeated again. If we develop an escape mentality about the burdens, about the pain, about the loss, about the trauma, about anything else in this life that is pressing us and stretching us and giving us pain, if we only have an escape mentality about those things, I think that may be the single greatest enemy to seeing God's purpose in all the pain. If all we can focus on and try to do and accomplish in this life through our actions and through even our prayers is to escape all of this, then we're going to miss probably everything that God is up to. He has a purpose in your pain. He has made you for that, giving you this deposit or the down payment of the hope that is coming is guaranteed. But meanwhile, you're here, and that's just as much a part of the purpose of an eternal sovereign God as you and me going to heaven one day. Our time here is meant to be lived with purpose, even if it's painful. So what I want to say to all of us today is this, let's not waste our pain. Let's not waste our pain by being selfish because we're in pain. Let's go beyond focusing on escaping the pain, whatever the pain is. It can be mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, whatever the pain is. Don't waste the pain by focusing on escaping it. Leverage the pain by focusing on God's purpose in it. So I want you to consider it right now. If you're going through pain right now, what is God's purpose in your pain? Do you have a good, solid answer for that? And if you don't, would you storm heaven and not leave there until God gives you an answer? Would you dedicate yourself to praying and asking God to help you cooperate with his purpose, whatever it is? And you know what you're going to find? It's not going to be some writing in the sky that God's going to give you tomorrow morning when you wake up. Here is your purpose in your pain. No. It's going to be found in everyday life. It's going to be found in the growth steps that you can take because you're in pain. It's going to be found in the people that you come in contact with that you can use what you've learned in your pain and receive from God in your pain and pass it on to them and deposit it. You see, these are the places where the purpose of God is learned, realized, and accomplished. Storm heaven. Ask God to give you a sensitivity and awareness of what He is doing in your pain. What is his purpose? And then know and be assured that everyday life is going to reveal it to you. What are you going to do with that? We have some here today who are suffering in a way that is very similar to the ways that other people in our family have suffered in the past. You consider that today? Maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you're not, but maybe you are. And if you are, have you considered approaching the individuals who are suffering in a similar way, bearing the same pain that you have in the past and encouraging them and helping them with the same comfort that Jesus has given to you? That's just one way that we can make sure that we're not wasting the pain. So Jesus truly is everything that we need while we painfully wait to transition. Don't waste the pain. Next of all, we find that Jesus gives us an eternal reason to live while we wait. Look at verse 6 in our text. Therefore, we are always confident and know. Hopefully you see the theme that's being repeated here. He starts off the chapter in verse number 1. Now we know. And and then we come down here to to this verse as well. And it says, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know. So he's even expanding this certainty for us. We are always confident. There's never a reason for us not to be confident. And we know, as a matter of fact, that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, I think it's going to be after this that there will be no more tears in heaven. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Here is the eternal reason that we have as we wait to transition. A reason that far transcends ourself. A reason that is eternal goes way beyond the mansion over the hilltop, okay? Please don't cultivate a man-centered, humanistic, even consumeristic view of heaven, okay? Don't do that. Understand that Jesus is all that you need, okay? And understand that that's all you're going to be worried about when you get to heaven, amen? That was a little weak, okay, okay? Okay. It's not all about gates of pearl and streets of gold and mansions, which, by the way, I think we're all going to be a little disappointed. If you think you're going to have a 10,000-square-foot mansion in heaven, you might have another thing coming, just saying. The Father's house contains many dwelling places. You study that out. We're not going to get into that today. But don't develop a a man-centered, humanistic view of heaven. Listen, Jesus is all we need to be happy, and Jesus is going to be there. It isn't streets of gold, gates of pearl, and a mansion that we should be focused on for a reason of being happy in heaven. We wait, and we have this eternal motivation to please him. Look at verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him. While we wait to transition, and even after we have transitioned, our desire, motivation, and goal for living, for existing, is to please Him. Now granted, it gets a whole lot easier after we transition, doesn't it? A whole lot easier. Because thankfully, at that moment, we will be free from the very presence of sin. That will be exciting. The eternal reason. Do we remember this daily? that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad? You see, it is right to emphasize the fact that we don't have to pay the price for our sins and pay the entrance fee of heaven. We don't have to do that. That's been paid in Jesus. But I think in our emphasis of that, which is good and well, but if we're not careful, our emphasis that Jesus truly has paid it all, our emphasis on that, if we're not careful, kind of dumbs down the judgment seat of Christ. Don't do that. Understand that every one of us will give account of himself to God. God did not stutter when he said that. Now, when we do that, we're not doing that to gain an entrance into heaven. And God is not going to be standing there with with a glorified set of scales that are perfect, weighing your good works against your bad works. That's not the right view of this. But we will give an account of ourselves to God. And the scripture here says that we're going to receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Many people think that at this time, it's going to be motivations that are judged. Why did you do what you did? Did you build with wood, hay, and stubble? Or did you build with gold, silver, and precious stones? And what is going to be left after the fire of a holy God tries your works? Think about it. That alone would transform any faith community that got serious about it and decided to live with that in mind. Don't miss the moment and opportunity for change and for transformation. You know, isn't it wonderful, everything that God gives to us? We're talking about it so well here. He gives us all of these things that makes our present affliction worth it. He resolves the problem of death for us. He he gives us everything we need while we painfully wait to transition. He even gives us an eternal reason to live here and now. But there's something else that God does for us that allows us to be more than just recipients of his grace. And it's this. And I love this because this, this is just more of why it's a sin to be selfish. Look at this. Jesus gives us then the privilege of impacting the trajectory of the lives of those around us. And that's what beginning in verse number 11 and continuing all the way to the end of the passage is about. He doesn't just give all of this to us so that we can enjoy it, although enjoying it is part of what we do. He gives it to us so that we can take it and pour it into the lives of other people so that the trajectory of their life can be dramatically changed so that they too can have the same hope in Jesus that we have. Isn't that exciting? It truly will be one of the most exciting things that you ever experience when you take the truth of the gospel and pour it into the life of someone else and see their life dramatically changed we get the opportunity to do that but what's the problem the problem is there are a lot of believers that will journey with Jesus for their whole life and never pour this truth into anyone else around them it happens it happens I think you'll regret that one day if that's the way you're choosing to live. Look at verse 16 with me, or actually verse 11. Since then, based upon all of these things that we've just learned together, since we have our, our afflictions have value, and since the problem of death has been, has been resolved, and since we have everything we need to, to painfully wait as we transition, and since we have an eternal reason to live Since all of this stuff is true, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Look at it. Not just us. We try to persuade men. About what? About Jesus and who he is and the fact that he provides the answers to all of these things. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Verse 12. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Selfishness has, law, has definitely met his match. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. Can you think back to the last time that that you had an interaction with someone in this life who needed Jesus, and you saw yourself in that position with the opportunity to make an appeal for God? God? That God wanted to make an appeal through you to them to invite them into a relationship with Jesus through the gospel? That is exactly what we're being told is part of our purpose for being here. It's as though God wants to make his appeal through us. He could have chosen any other way to do this, church. He could have utilized the angelic hosts and did all kinds of signs and wonders and appearances and encounters. but They can't do this. They can only look at it and marvel. Only we who have experienced the new birth and regeneration and relationship with Jesus, who have experienced this and know this personally, can be the mouthpieces of it, can make the appeals for God on his behalf for it. Paul goes on to say, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus gives us the privilege of impacting the trajectory of the lives of those around us. The simple question is, Who have you impacted lately? Who have you engaged in gospel conversations lately? Because God wants to make his appeal to lost ones through you. So I want you to consider this as a remedy for selfishness. I think the full cycle is here. And I think if we will believe in this theology and apply it to our lives and live accordingly selfishness truly will meet its match in jesus and we can have victory over it genuine christ-centered thankfulness the day before thanksgiving we're going to gather here in our worship center we'll enjoy a meal together and we will enjoy time sharing of testimonies together and i just want to invite you to that time i know for some it may be inconvenient or impossible But if you can at all be here Wednesday evening to meet, to gather, to to exalt Jesus and to share testimonies of thankfulness, it will truly be a time that you don't want to miss. So please be here with us and enjoy this time together. Register in the meeting place and let's come together and truly give God thanks as a faith community and rejoice in all that he has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time today. And God, we ask now as we reflect with with music and song that we would spend some time perhaps in prayer today. Maybe we need prayer. Maybe we'll ask for prayer. Maybe our need is to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and believe in his finished work on the cross as a remedy for our sin. Maybe that's what we need to do today. God, meet our needs and draw those to yourself who need Jesus. In his name we pray.